Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL, and welcome to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. We are taking a break from our series, A Little Sondheim Music, for a very special episode. First off with me, uh, friend of the pod, alum of the pod, Mr. Jimmy Larkin. Hello, Jimmy. How are you? Good. How are you, Matt? I'm wonderful, Jimmy. Thank you for asking. Uh, excited as I am to have you here, Jimmy, you are not the headline of this episode. Oh, geez. But like, would you say that's that's fair? Yeah, that's absolutely fair. The, the person headline- that we're interviewing is far more iconic. Far more iconic. <laughs> iconic, uh, I like that word. <laughs> our uh, interviewee today is, okay, oh, oh boy, hon. Let me, I need to take a breath here because this individual has just done so much and it's going to take all my breath support to get even a third of it out uh this person has worked on broadway tv film he's uh, been a music director uh musical music supervisor orchestrator arranger uh he's a composer he's a uh, vocal coach vocal supervisor he's worked on the original broadway productions of starlight express chess sunset boulevard aida for which he has a grammy award bombay dreams for which he has a tony nomination that's just to name a few tv cinderella with brandy and whitney houston for which he has an emmy nomination annie for which he has an emmy south pacific for yes. which he has an emmy nomination uh <laughs> Movies. He did Chicago, which he has a Grammy for. Yes. Fantastic. Uh, Dreamgirls Across the Universe. Connie and motherfucking Carla. Oh, my God. Oh, you, we're, don't, if, you th- if you thought we weren't talking about that, you are you are on the wrong podcast. Sir. Oh, man. I can't believe it. Man. Yeah, um, cool. Nine, as well as the original Lion King and Mulan, not these mm-hmm. remakes, the original OGs. Uh, please welcome to the pod, Mr. Paul Bogave. Oh my God! I'm, were you just you winded? Everything. That? Well, I didn't, I didn't do everything. You have so much more. No, you didn't. You didn't do everything. Yeah. It, you you didn't so mention much. the. Did we even get well, to Tarzan? Oh, I forgot to mention Tarzan. Tarzan. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Emperor's New Groove. Because Tarzan. You got it. Like, right, right, right. First question, right off the bat. Yeah. While conducting chess in uh, uh, in 1988 you had a some would say front row seat to judy kuhn's nobody side eight times a week were you ever close to pissing yourself just watching her do that number because i would have been you know what i i conducting chess was amazing because you you get through one great song and you go oh shit i got I got after where I want to be I've got uh someone else's story coming up oh heaven help my heart which I love but nobody on nobody's side is so cool to conduct. And, you know, we did a, Car- a, Carnegie, a Carnegie Hall concert um, after the show closed, a benefit that was unbelievable, unbelievable, oh, okay. with the original cast. Oh, that's exceptional. An augmented wow. orchestra. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine great. that place was on fire that night, like the entire audience. It, was they crazy. went nuts. Standing ovation after the first act and, of course, the second act. And we, we picked the best... Um, 
you know, there were, there were several different endings to the show, but we picked the one that had the uh, reprise of Anthem with the chorus. It was, mm-hmm. it was amazing. And David Carroll, who you may know mm-hmm. from uh, Chess and Grand Hotel and, um, uh, and Phil Kasnov and Judy Kuhn, um, amazing. So Paul, how did you come into this line of work of music direction, arrangement, orchestration? Because it's not something that I, I feel like most people wake up one day and go, that's what I want. It's more sort of something that they kind of um, experience throughout their career. And then like, yeah, well, I, I always played keyboards and I played in rock bands and uh, I went to Cornell and I left Cornell the sophomore year to come to New York. And I decided that I was going to go to Juilliard for music, which I did. And also at the same time, I acted. I, I, uh, I, was, I played Claude in Hair in a touring. It was one of the end of the uh, national touring companies. And uh, I did a couple other shows. But then I took a conducting course at Juilliard. And I said, ah, oh, shit, that's what I want to do. But I started as an audition pianist. And the first show that I got to be a rehearsal pianist was Woman of the Year with Lauren Bacall. Okay. Who tried to fix me up with her daughter, which was cool. (laughs) There are worse worse people to be set up with than uh, Betty Bacall's daughter. Yeah, well, Betty Bacall's daughter wasn't having any of showbiz. I have to tell you, she was like, yeah, Betty told me, she said, well, you know, She's a nurse. You know, she says, I save lives. You act. I save lives. You know, and Bacall was cool. She yeah. was very down to earth. Any Bacall stories that come to mind immediately? Yeah. Well, give us yeah. one. Oh, yeah. And I can I'm swear. hungry for Great. that. Oh, okay. So um, the conductor who was named Donald Pippen and the assistant conductor said, okay, you have to work with Betty because you're young and you can take it. So, <laughs> so I said, okay. So uh, I worked with it. I, I would every day after lunch, I would do an hour session with her and every day she would go in her limo to have a voice lesson. Right. Wait, in her wait, in her limo, she had a voice lesson in her limo. No, no. They would take her. She would eat lunch. At the <laughs> okay. they, they would take her. That's no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm sure people have had voice lessons in their limo. Anyway, I, the limo I didn't bat an eye her, at first when you said no, that. No, I was no, like, I would totally buy that. Her, yeah, it would take her three blocks from the rehearsal studio to a voice teacher. And she would come back, you know, having had this lesson and, and work with me. And one day she came back and she actually uh, made a tone. Now, you're a singer, so you know what the difference between... Uh, you know, and uh, oh shit, I got 10, 10% left. I may have to recharge, but okay. Okay. Anyway, so she comes back and she was like, oh. I said, Betty, you made a tone. She goes, Nah. And I said, Yeah, you actually made a tone. I said, Did you have a good lesson? And she said, I don't have any goddamn lesson. I said, What did you do? She went, I went to the fucking dentist. And I went, <laughs> I said, did you get gas? She goes, yeah. And I got Novocaine too. And I went, that's it. It's, it's like relaxed your jaw. And she, thought, and she was funny. She goes, wow, do you think I could have that every night? And I, <laughs> she, it was the one time I actually heard a tone come at her. 
Um, <laughs> the one time a tone came out of Lauren Bacall's Oh, yeah. She, she, could, she goes, ah, nah, I didn't make a tone. Jimmy, do you have a question you want to bring up first? Well, no, I just, I, so you come from more so uh, a rock background or rock and musical theater, and then you kind of combine Both. them. That's right. See, because oh, all, yeah. your, all your work is, I, the, thing, the thing that I find so interesting about all your credits yeah. is yeah. it's really a cool crossover of like taking things out of their time period and yes. adding either rock music, pop music, you know, R&B yeah. to, these, to these shows that are set in like the late 1800s and stuff, you know, and that's, that's a really specific crossover, but it sounds like it makes so much sense for who you are, you know? Well, hey, it's one of those things when it works, it's great. When it doesn't, it's not, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty bad. But I think, uh, sure. I think it's, it's come, um, especially now, that is that, and you know, look at movie scores. You, you've got period movies like Marie Antoinette that have rock scores in it, and that was not accepted years ago. I love mixing shit. I love mixing styles if it works. You know, it all, it all, everything emanates from the story, from storytelling. And I don't care what kind of pyrotechnics or sets or whatever you have, if you don't have the spine of a good story, which is the problem of Spider Man, which, which did not have a, a, a really good story, you, you can't put anything on it and expect the show to be interesting you just can't so i i love i love the mixture uh and you know i love the passion of rock and what you can get from it in some ways rock is is closer to opera you know mm-hmm. you know and as you know rock i like rock operas and superstar i think Andrew Lloyd Webber is similar because he does have a, a rock and classic background and he was able to, yeah, combine that. That's one of his, that's one of his strengths. Well, you kind of came into Broadway then at the right time because your beginning as a Broadway music director was sort of at the height of these British imports of Andrew Lloyd Webber and Trevor Nunn. So your sensibility really matched that Starlet Express, chess, aspects of love, a lot, lot of none in your life. You and Trevor seem to get along pretty well. Would you say that? That's oh, Trevor, Trevor is, is uh, one of my best friends and I, has been for years. Wouldn't it would, be, it would just be interesting for, with all these it's Trevor Nunn shows. It's like, Oh, we hate each other, but we respect the hell out of each other. So we just work all the time. Nah, <laughs> no, 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 no caddy drama like that. That's a shame. Well, no, the only tea. thing was, is I, I turned down gone with the wind. He asked me to, to kind of doctor, come in and doctor the score and i said um i don't know if you heard about it, it was a tremendous flop in london but, yes uh, yeah yeah and i i said trevor i there's like one and a half songs that i can work with and i said the rest of it and he he was like oh, well you know i think we saved he said we've saved a lifelong friendship you know you shouldn't work on it in that mm-hmm. case i literally had i had to be honest with him Listen, I was honest with the producers of Spider-Man when they asked me to come in and they said, what did you, th-? you know, I, I saw it and, and they said, what did you think of it? I said, do you really, you really want to know? Hmm. I said, it's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, including Legs Diamond. You said that. Was- <laughs> the show that turned the Mark Hellinger into a church, Spider-Man was worse than that. Or, you know, on a level. And I didn't see... Uh, well, I, I, I actually turned down Carrie for, for 
chess. I had been asked to do carry first, but I wanted to do chess. And so, but I never saw that. So mm. I don't know, you know, there's a number of flops Car- that I'm yeah. just. Carrie is sort of, um, so actually I, we're going to go all over the map with this because I, oh, yeah. I know I speak for both myself and Jimmy, like you've done so much that I care so much about it. My brain definitely goes like A to Z to L to J. Um, uh-huh. So we'll, we'll like flash forward to 2005 and go back to 1987. It's just, it's just how it's going to go. The interesting thing about the music arrangements with Cinderella, with the Brandy Cinderella mm. is it's one, it's like one of the few times I can really think of where these terms that always just sort of seem so contrasting actually work. So when someone says like, can you make this golden age score sound new and and modern, but also keep it tied to its golden age roots, but like really embrace the different kinds of singers, but also like tie it all together. It's these, these words that sometimes when you just say them out loud, feel like they're nothing, but the Cinderella way that Cinderella was done, like that was actually it. It's these grand terms. And when you think about it, you're like, that's actually what that, with that what that movie did with that music and Carrie to bring it back to Carrie for a second Carrie I feel like was trying to do something similar where it's like a rock opera and it's modern but it still has pop music and it's teeny bottom yeah. but it's also and it's for all the stuff I love about it it's just so for lack of a better term bipolar uh and they were trying to kind of do sort of a Natasha Pierre great comet situation with all these contrasting genres oh, yeah. making one big tapestry and they just weren't able to do it. Impossible for a plain yellow pumpkin to become a golden carriage. Impossible for a plain country pumpkin and a prince to join in marriage. And so because I opened the door and because it's going to take up 80% of this video uh, slash podcast, and I know Jimmy has a million questions, as do I, as do all of our followers. Cinderella, how did that come about in your life? It, it came from Craig Zayden and Neil Marin. Mm-hmm. And I knew them uh, for years in New York. Um, Craig had been involved with the public theater and um, then they went out and they produced Footloose and they um, were in, in, you know, Whitney was going to play Cinderella originally. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, I'm too old, you know, forget it. And um, they called me. I think I had just, oh yeah, I just done Sunset Boulevard in Australia with Hugh Jackman. Oh yeah. So it's where I met Hugh Jackman and have, have, remain friends for, for, for years. Anyway, I don't want a tangent from that. So they asked me to come out and do, um, to do, uh, to do Cinderella. And I first worked with Brandy in New York and I was kind of familiar, you know, she was Moesha. She had, was minor, you know, minor star. Yeah. She was upcoming. Yeah, exactly. Well, she's 17, I think. And I, I started to work with her in New York and then went out to uh, California to work on it. But the arrangements, they, a guy named Marty Erskine was doing arrangements. And we also hired a jazz arranger to do, to alter the chords for um, the famous ballad, Do I Love You, you know, Because You're Beautiful, mm-hmm. just to, you know, slightly, slightly alter them. And that's a very, very tricky thing um, to do that because it, when, when it, when you do the kind of hybrid thing where you add uh, altered chords to Rogers and Hammerstein, it can out actually sound like Vegas arrangements. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause that's, 
what they do you know when a when a singer sings a, a show tune sometimes they will they will put um you know jazz chords on it and you just go oh it's yeah. not it's not working yeah you but get like flashbacks of sammy davis at the copa or something like yeah that. no the yeah, robert goulet that kind of stuff yeah, like some of the trying some of the to be funny trying to be the, yeah, oh, the, the know, disco they... song time uh, i'm not sure uh, about jimmy yeah, i love yeah. ethel marman's disco album oh we love Oh my God! They, she did a disco album. My did God. she ever? Oh, There's also a Sweeney Todd disco album. It's uh, it's marvelous. Oh, say hey, Sweeney Todd! I think that's my favorite score of all time. Uh, West Side Story, mm-hmm. love, but I think Sweeney Todd uh, definitely favorite Sondheim. I think. I mean, yeah. It's a, that's a very good choice to have. Uh, so with Cinderella. So I yeah. meant to ask this earlier. A lot of people who listen to this podcast understand who a music director is. Not many people might understand what a music supervisor is, especially with um, film and TV. Would, could you expand on, on that? Yeah, uh, well, it, no, the, the term music supervisor in film, uh, when you see that credit, is not the same as it is with theater. That has to do with music supervisor will choose, uh, you know, songs for a soundtrack. And it's it's not quite the same thing. Um they also would not allow the directors guild would not allow the credit of director as music director so i was always either conduct uh, conducted by or music i think it's like music supervised and conducted by got it so on something like cinderella when they say music supervisor it's not the actual term that you would for a film uh, is that what you would do? No. What you did on Connie and Carla, those act, like actual music? Stories? Connie and Carla. Oh, <laughs> that was a whole different thing. I told Con- you it was going to come up. It's, we're talking about Tony Collette belting on screen. That's so rare. Man. She was good, right? Oh, oh she's amazing. She's she's but, Queenie. She's Queenie, and she yeah, was a blonde. Well, well, Connie and Carla was probably the easiest, and I mean easiest thing I've ever done because okay, you're asked to make twenty five bad uh bad like medleys like like you know you know it's uh, the first place it's really funny it takes place in an airport lounge right mm-hmm. they you go from like oklahoma to cats or something singing. oh yeah so i you know and the thing it's not it's not hard doing parody is is kind of like you know in things like a score to, to spam a lot that's it's not hard to to make a bad Andrew Lloyd Webber song. What's hard is to write a, you know, a show where you uh, care about people and, you know, a, like a wicked, like score that isn't, that isn't making fun of a genre. Mm. Well, Connie and Carla, it was, you just had to be bad. It's not hard to be bad. What does it say about me that I thought those medleys were legitimately wonderful? Am I? Thank you. Do I have? They they were legitimately wonderful in their uh, in their tackiness and their audacity to just go from one to the other. Oh yeah. Have you seen Connie and Carla? I'm so disappointed to say no, I have not. Are you? Have you? Are you made? Are you aware of it? Do you know what it is? No, I mean I've heard I've heard of it, but like I really don't know it, and I'm sure from hearing everything you're saying, I'm sure I would die. Oh, it's amazing! It's a cult movie. It's essentially some like it hot. It's a cult movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some like it hot meets like The Birdcage, where Nia Vardalos and Tony Collette are Broadway obsessed women uh, in the middle of you know the Midwest, I guess, 
and they witness a mob Chicago, hit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Chicago. Yeah, they go. They witness a mob hit, and they go into hiding, and they go to L.A. because they think that's the last place the mob will look for them because the mob only knows that they like theater, and they're like, "There's no theater in L.A. We'll go to L.A. and they'll never know to find us." And they end up um, posing as drag queens, and their whole shtick is like. No, this is before Drag Race. So like their whole shtick is we sing live and no one, no other drag queens in LA sing live and they sing all Broadway shows. Oh, teams. I've seen, I've seen videos from this for sure. Yes. And Tony Collette, it's the, I, it was before I knew Tony Collette had done Wild Party. Uh, Cause yeah. I fell into the Lacusa Wild Party in high school. And so I was listening to her saying, I'm like, no way is that Tony Collette. And then my friend gave me Wild Party. I was like, that's Tony Collette. She's. Oh yeah, no, she's good. She's but you know Tony. what we did with that is they sang, I, I almost everything. I, I lowered a step that, you know, that they would have sung normally as women because it, they had to sound like, it was weird. They had to sound like they were men trying to sound like women. Mm-hmm. So they were women playing what people thought were men playing women. And um, very Victor Victoria, very that. Oh uh, yeah, it was it, Vic, Victor Victoria. You remember, and De- I get to work with Debbie Reynolds uh yeah because they, they want to start a debbie reynolds dinner theater <laughs> jimmy you need, to, <laughs> you need to watch this movie is there is there a scene where they do maybe this time on like a, a, mm-hmm. on a, yeah. a small stage yeah yeah, yeah okay i yeah, i've seen i've definitely they, seen videos yeah. from it i don't know if i've ever watched the movie in its entirety but it sounds like something i would eat up I've never done drag, but if I were to do drag, my very first number would be Bernadette Peters' Falling in Love with Love. And I think Jimmy can co-sign oh. that with me. Um, For sure. I, I just want to bring it back you know to the One of the stepsisters just died. Natalie. Yeah, I know, so Natalie. Bad. Yeah. She uh, she really was one of the most iconic parts of that movie for me. Like her comedy in that. And that's another, another kind of thing. Like she took yeah. comedy that is like very much like more modern, I guess it was 90s beats. Yep, that yep, yeah. Period piece, you know, and like that that blew my mind as a kid. You know, I was like, she's funny in a in a late ni- 90s sense, but she's working with a script that's the set in the time period of, of whatever time period it was, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I just I watched um Stepsisters Lament the, the other day with that laugh that she does, man. Oh yeah. my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well so I was in preparation for this, because yeah. uh, my introduction to Cinderella started with, or at least in terms of the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella, I should say, right. started with the 97 Brandy. And then I was made aware of uh, Leslie Ann Warren first, and then eventually Julie Andrews. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I, in, re- in preparation for today, I went back and sort of listened to those other versions to get a sense of sort of what you guys did with the music. Because again, I speak for Jimmy on this as well. I don't know if, uh, if you are as aware of this, Paul, the that version of Cinderella has been very iconic for our generation of theater kids. We we just adore it. And the music is really a huge part of that, the way that the music was adapted. Right. And listening to previous iterations, you can it's interesting to hear like how impossible and stepsisters lament kind of yeah. you, you can hear the bones in those original versions. And what you guys do are not necessarily like totally um 
remolding it, but rather just like giving it a, I don't even call it, I don't want to call it a fresh coat of paint because that implies that the old versions are like moldy by any means. They're not. You, there's there's just a sense of excitement and storytelling to them. Well, that's that's, really that's the use of that's the motor. We used to use that term, you know, mm-hmm. that, that that can be the groove. The, but it's it's a percussive thing that really and that impossible. That was a perfect example. Yeah, the I way mean, you built it. impossible is really exceptional. Sorry to cut you off, but I'm not sorry because yeah. I keep wanting to wanting to talk. But uh, <laughs> the impossible or the speed of sounds even. Oh, sweetest sounds, yeah. Uh, the, yeah I want to R and B. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sweetest sounds, yeah. right? Yeah, sweetest sounds, R and B. Even in my own little corner, has a lot of that. But uh-huh. impossible. When you watch the original t- uh, version and the subsequent Leslie Ann Warren version, while they're so pleasant, there's something about the last section that always kind of feels abrupt, like it do- like it doesn't t- totally build to it. It sort of plateaus. And you guys were able to create, as you said, a motor to it. So it really built to the ending. Like I always get chills when Brandy gets into the carriage and the music goes bum, bum, and she's kissing oh, yeah. when you go. Great. It just builds to this really gorgeous, truly musical theater finish, but still tied to R&B and hip hop and and all those different kinds of genres. Except Exactly what I said earlier, these like nothing terms that people always say when they don't necessarily aren't able to give specifics that somehow apply so perfectly to that adaptation of Cinderella. I don't know. I know, know you guys want to hear. Maybe it's the time to tell the uh, the Whitney story. Should I tell it? Is yes. It well, I mean, any okay. Whitney story. We, any Whitney story. Plenty of uh, people have asked me for a Whitney story. So th- you're sweeping up. Okay. Any this is, if if you look up my name in Whitney Houston, I think it's still on uh, on the internet. But when I wrote this article, the Whitney, Forever Whitney fan club, people they loved hearing this and you'll, you'll hear why, because it is very complimentary to her as a person and a, as an artist. She was, um, it, we were doing the song, There's Music In You, you know, the finale mm-hmm. that has, it's quite ranging and high notes. And the worst thing that can happen in the studio is when the board breaks, you know, the computers break. We were in Capitol Records and Whitney, Whitney was, I, I think she, she was trying to get off whatever she was on at the time. And, you know, and that's, that's even, that's worse than if you're really wrecked, you know, you, it, it, she was in, in a withdrawal period, I think. So she was already a little on edge. And I think it bothered her that she didn't have the high notes uh, that she did. That was bothering her. So she wasn't in a great mood to begin with. And then the board freezes, right? And it's not getting fixed and it's getting 10 minutes and she's in the studio. And I remember saying, hey, I'm putting my shoes on. Uh, I'm jangling my car keys, meaning I'm, I'm out of here, right? And I did something that uh, if I had thought about it, it had time to think about it, I don't think I would have done. I, I opened the door to go into the big studio out from the control room 
And I just said, hey, Whitney, you know, uh, I've been having trouble with my son. He's six months old. I can't get him to burp. You're such a good mother. And I, I wasn't uh, uh, lying. I mean, it was true. I see. I see you with Bobby, you know, her daughter. Mm-hmm. And I said, can you uh, help me, you know? And her personality flipped like 180 degrees, just complete. She was, oh, honey, what you got to do is you got to put him on your shoulder and walk him around the apartment and get him to, that, that'll get him to birth. She, then she goes on with 20 minutes of childcare. And all of a sudden they fixed the, the thing. So I'd gotten her to, to stay, you know, and not leave. She goes, okay, let's go. She's singing like I haven't, haven't heard her. It, her whole personality trance. I feel it, It's unbelievable what happened. And I always tell that, you know, when I'm doing lectures or, or theater classes, you have to know psychologically how mm. important that is. And you guys both are, are performers and singers. So you know what, how, how freeing uh, that, that, that if you get out of yourself, which is what happened, she, you know, she became a, uh, in, in teaching me, she loved it. I, I could tell that she loved to, uh, you know, teach Brandy. And I, I think I knew that. So I took the chance of, of diverting her attention and it, it altered her personality. So what was still there was able to come out. So everyone who's listening to this episode, and we mm. talked about this before we started recording, there is obviously a very iconic video in regards to the making of Cinderella. You yeah. you know it's a meme. You told us your your sons told you a few years ago, Dad. You're yeah, a right, meme. right, right. Um, yeah. It is the iconic, and I talk about it in an earlier episode. I actually have an episode dedicated to this in terms of its title, which is when Whitney and Brandy are rehearsing "Impossible" with you. You're in right, the video. right. And Brandy's going down the octave and Whitney shouts, why are you down there? And then goes up the octave, possible. Yeah, right, right. No, she was meant to be, she first did it. You you first hear um, impossible. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. I think what she did, I was trying to say, she did it in the right octave and then she did it down an octave. I said, maybe she's hearing me. Cause you know, guys- Oh, right. And you were singing the the line too at the time. Right, guys' voices are- uh, you know, uh, an octave apart uh, with girls. So uh, I thought that maybe that was that was it. But that was very, you know, Whitney being the mentor. When it, when, the yeah, mo- yeah, yeah. when that moment happened, did you know yeah. that you were sitting in the middle of history with that line, or was it? Much, no, much of later? course not. No, 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 no. Did you, you know there are shirts that. made that say "Why are you down there?" Right? No, really? Yes. Oh my god, <laughs> that is also part of the legacy of Cinderella. Is "Why are you down there?" And it's, it's, but it's also the editing because um, it, it, it's clearly like she doesn't pop up the octave like immediately after she says it, obviously the way that it's right. edited, she does it, but it's just yeah, perfect right. editing. Um, and it just, it highlights it so well. And you're, you're a part of it. You're in the, some might say you're in the room where it happens. 
Randy's right over your shoulders in that video. Oh man, that was so exciting. It was so exciting. Now, Paul, I have a qu one question I have yeah. for you about Cinderella is, as far as the sound of the piece goes, was that decided, like adding the R&B flair and some of the, some of the other sounds, was that decided before you, you knew how, or you knew who was going to be singing it? Or was that, yes. did you base yes, it that around Whitney's sound no, and Brandy's sound? No, no, it, it was decided because of Whitney's um, uh, participation in the show, I think it was decided. Right. It wasn't written for Brandy, but it was definitely decided that this would be a um, a redo of the score. And and, and something we're, we're not talking about that I always found um, so amazing and so that I'm so proud to be a part of. This was the first uh, interracial, mm -hmm. you know, iconic Huge. fairy tale. This, there was this was not, you know, this was white bread all the time if you watch the Julie Andrews and Leslie Ann Warren. And, and the fact that you've got the King, uh, Victor Garber, the Queen, Whoopi Goldberg, and they give birth to Paolo Montalban, you know, Filipina, it was, it was great. And it was a great um, atmosphere around the filming at you know, when we filmed at Universal. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you, the chorus is every, it's, it's, mm -hmm. Latino, it's white, it's Asian, everything, uh, and black, and yeah, and it was so exciting because that was that was, you know, that wasn't around. We had had um, intermittent things like like Audrey McDonald and Carousel, of course. Which have you ever? I don't know whether that's on tape, but I saw um, that. That was. That was <laughs> Anybody Amazing. who listens to this podcast, I want to let it be known: I did not bring up the '94 Carousel. Paul did because yeah. Carousel is my favorite musical and the 94 oh, production it? it's my favorite musical and the 94 production is in my opinion the greatest production that it'll ever have uh and I talk oh, about man. it I talk about it almost too much especially on this podcast the only other musical I talk about at excess that my listeners are tired of is Smile uh my listeners are like stop bringing up Carousel <laughs> stop bringing up Smile but yeah I don't I don't I, I was, was that uh, Marvin Hamlish? Marvin, yeah, Marvin Hamlish yeah. Uh, and Howard yeah. Ashman with Paul Giamatti right. doing, right, right, right. Uh, yeah. yeah, same season yeah, yeah. that you did Starlet Express, uh, right? But that's just how my brain works. But I, yes, I want the listeners to know I did not bring up Carousel. Paul did, uh, but yes, I love that production. And that, that was because that, of Audra. Audra. Yeah, and and uh, Tay Diggs was in the ensemble, and Shirley Verrett was. Nate. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah and, well, Verrett. and to bring yeah. it back, Tay Diggs, I, I read, was also up for the Prince in Cinderella. Yes, he was. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. No, I did not know that. Um, yeah. I was going to say, oh, uh, you had people. So something that I really love about that Cinderella and also with the Annie uh, is that mm. something that I talked about with the live musicals of the last couple of years was that I, ha I felt that a lot of those live musicals, while I really appreciated their efforts, they were taking oh. things that were not necessarily meant for the medium of television with commercial breaks and it didn't always quite fit. And they would put in people who, you know, while very talented musical theater wasn't really what they did, yeah. uh, you know, like with Rent or with Sound of Music and with Cinderella and with Annie, you had people who maybe weren't, like Brandy was not, you know, uh, a veteran of musical theater, but the material was crafted around her. So she was able to yes. shine as best she could. And Annie yeah. with uh, Kathy Bates doing what she did. And I just thought that those are sort of, in my opinion, the like uh, 
benchmarks of that, of taking something and bringing in people who maybe aren't known for this genre or this, you know, style of performing and really allowing them to succeed as best they can by tailoring everything to them that, which also then in turn lets the material succeed. Uh, right. Yeah. I am. I'm look, I mean, the things that I've done, I love actors who sing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really, I, I you know, it's it's the acting for me comes first. So mm-hmm. it's been great to work with people like Kathy Bates, who was had never done a musical before. She had not and done a musical before that. No, I, I, I don't that. even know that she had sung. No, no, I don't know. She'd never done a musical. And I and um, uh, I went over um, to her house and everybody, Rob Marshall and Craig Zayden were like waiting to hear what I, you know, because they didn't know what she was going to sound like. Mm. They knew they somehow they must have known something that she somebody maybe John Kander heard her once, but but she could that they wouldn't have hired her without right. knowing that she could do it. And um, it was great because I said, "Look, what?" Um, she said, "I'm a character actress. I I don't sing as myself." I said, "Can you do any imitations?" And she said, "Oh yeah, Ethel Merman." And she did this thing for me, like, you know, it was funny. It went softly, the song. And uh, I said, okay. So since you, we decided that um, her, it, so she could sing like Easy Street, you know, that kind of old fashioned Sophie Tucker style, mm-hmm. you know, Sophie Tucker, who she was. Like that. Hey, uh, face. Uh, like, according uh, to Roxy, Sophie Tucker will shit she knows when she sees that her ah, name is Build Below. I, I remember that. Uh, yeah, Sophie Tucker. Right. <laughs> and so, we'll talk so, about uh, that movie as uh, well. Yeah, and, and I said, um, I said, um, okay, so we we made Miss Hannigan kind of like Ethel Mertz and Lucy, right? Who had been in vaudeville. And I said, okay, and Kathy was like, you know, being a, a, a really great act she she bit that man she loved that and i said okay you're this frust you were in vaudeville you didn't make it and you're stuck in this fucking orphanage with the girls she goes got it and see that's how um that's how she was able to get out of herself out of her um uh you know self-consciousness about Mm. singing with Annie and with Cinderella, there are two sequences yeah. that I wanted to talk to you about in regards to the collaboration of putting it on screen, which is yeah. Cinderella, uh, you can talk about both or either one. Uh, Cinderella, it's the princes giving a ball and Annie, it's NYC, which are these, oh, two, yes. these two songs that for both versions were kind of restructured, reformatted oh, sure. in their own ways. And part of that is, you know, how it's told in the story. Part of it is who's singing it, what's being sung. Prince is giving a ball, obviously, like had extra uh, material written. I know there's an oral history. It's kind of an incomplete song. Yeah, you you watch the Julie Andrews version and you're like, there's there's something missing and it doesn't really build in a way. It's, It's basically the same thing over and over again. But I wanted to ask you sort of the process of sort of, uh, make working those songs musically with um, the director, with the choreographer, with the screenwriter. Of, uh, that is a was a collaboration, um, both songs between Rob Marshall and David Crane, his dance arranger, mm-hmm. and they and and you know and picking the right orchestrator. Michael Starobin did, um, who you know from you know, Sunday. Sunday in the Park, and oh yeah yeah, 
and many other things. And he's, we always picked him for the more flamboyant kind of uh, production of us. Um, and that was modeled after Danny Kaye. Uh, they, for Jason Alexander, that was tailored like a, a crazy Danny Kaye song. So they had a real um, idea, you know, concept. And NYC, I, I talk about Annie. Uh, with Annie, I had more, I think, more um, say or more creativity in terms of how we did the orchestrations and the music because Rob Marshall is such a specific director. I could have a, a three minute conversation with him, say, these are my thoughts. And I, I would know from the way he was doing the story, how we should go about the music. And I told him what I wanted to use. I wanted to use Americana. I, uh, Aaron Copeland is one of my favorite um, composers, classical composers. And since you know, you know, Bernstein, I know you know well, he is a very, uh, you know, pupil of, of the Aaron Copeland score. So the, the, the chords. Um, and I wanted um, Annie, uh, the original Broadway orchestrations um, are, uh, I don't say this pejoratively, but cartoony. There's something, you know, it sounds sometimes like the Salvation Army and it, it was specific, that's what they wanted. So I, I described them and we did, what we were doing was a realistic uh, depression musical. That's what was the concept of, of Annie. Um, and I said, okay, I wanna add these Copeland chords like to maybe, and um, we redid Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, with a kind of different ending on it. And uh, I didn't want it to sound like that kind of 70s. It, there was like a, a, a rock beat to it that we that had dated by then. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Tomorrow, tomorrow yeah. originally opens with like uh, like a guitar, like do, 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 right? And you oh, guys. I, I wrote the, I wrote a, uh, uh, right, that a little motor thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or they, it's a horn sometimes too, right? Yeah, yeah, there was and, a, a uh, and um, you guys made it a lot thing. more um pensive and like a little sad the way that tomorrow yeah. starts. It's it's yeah. um not like saccharine, it's it's slightly melancholic, which I really love. I also think what I love about the TV Annie, and I have a whole episode about that one as well. If you ever all want to go back and just feel good about yourself, there's a whole episode about. Oh no, Annie. I'm really, I, I'm, I am really. That's one of the things I'm most proud of. I, yeah. I think it's great. You won an yeah. Emmy for it, so it's I hope the Annie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it was, you know, and it's also the thing that that really propelled Rob mm. into uh, as a director. Um, yeah. As oh yeah, because he directed and choreographed that. Yeah, that was his first. Uh, I thought it was such a smart choice to lower the keys for um, Alicia Morton because she yes. she clearly has the range to sing the songs in the Andrea McCardle keys. You can hear it with that F she hits and I think I'm going to like it here, which is very iconic. Uh, but lowering the keys allowed the songs like maybe to really be heard and understood in a way uh, and oh, fit yeah. for film, which I really appreciated. And there was such a purity about how she sung them. So I wanted to ask you also working with kids in something like Annie in a professional setting where they have to, especially with something where Annie kind of going into this movie, you already had the general uh, prejudice going against it of people hear Annie and they think, oh, nine little girls screaming their head offs and being cute well, and precious. I think I lowered uh, um, 
it's a hard knock life. I don't think it, this did. is high. That key oh. is ridiculous. The way the original key is very mean. The original yeah. key. The original key is very like mean of hard knock life. Yeah, nails. You know, yeah. stuck what? through your eyes. Yeah, yeah. You guys definitely lowered it for that one. You ready for another story? Yes, please. Okay, studio story. All right. You said working with kids, so uh, they were good, the, and I liked those kids in in Annie. They they were good, you know. And we rehearsed shows like a Broadway show. You go into rehearsal like you're mm-hmm. rehearsing the play and then we did a reading um you know for everybody uh and it was first time they heard kathy bates saying it's great anyway we get in this in capitol records of the studio and i don't know if you've done much recording as a singer but it when you get into the studio it, it gets very technical and you're worrying about you know technical things and pitch and sometimes the acting goes for a while right Mm -hmm. you forget what you're well they were doing it's a hard knock life and i just was like uh it was boring it was not it was not what it you know the guts and and then all all the drama and i just man i went after them and um i said i said god damn it this is, and I'm glad I could swear on this. So fucking <laughs> boring. If you do this like this, when this comes on ABC, I'm going to switch the channel to Wheel of Fortune. That's how fucking boring you are. And, and I was like, just get them, you know, riled up and mad. So what I forgot is all their parents were in the control room. All, all of them, all their parents. And the, after they do the take, and it was good after that screaming and s- insulting them, this, the door opens and I could feel this presence. And it was like um, July or something. Is that a name of yeah, one of the orphans? Yeah, yeah, July. yeah, yeah. And it was her father. Her father was about six feet seven and 250 pounds, huge. And I get this like tap on my shoulder and I look up. And he goes, you know, we're all in there, you know, meaning the parents. And I said, oh, and he goes, I just want to tell you something. It was like this. We love the way you work with our children. (laughs) (laughs) Any Audra stories with Annie that come to mind? (laughs) Yeah. Well, wait, did I not? Oh, I knew Audra. Well, you had seen her do Mr. Snow and you said, I must work with her. I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, you know, she was the first Aida in the workshop she was supposed I, I did not know that that yes, would have been Jimmy that's amazing was it still going to be um the same sound that it was going to be well no and that's that's really why uh, although she you know she sings beautifully but elton felt felt that her voice wasn't quite wasn't quite right for you know wasn't that it was operatic it was just i think you know, the way it's placed and the way it was sounding with the score that it wasn't quite right. Of course, she sang right, beautifully right. and she acted it brilliantly. Yeah. But Heather, Heather Headley was it, you know, when we when we found her. Yeah. She, how, um, did, how did you guys find Heather for Aida? Oh, she was in Lion King. Okay. And when I, I, I saw opening night of Lion King, I, I was like, oh, you know, that's we've got to get her. Um, I mean, we had a few people we did three workshops. So we had Audra, we had the second one, uh, Simone, Nina Simone's daughter ended up playing mm. the part on Broadway later. She was the second one. And then a girl named 
um, Jennifer Lee Warren was the third yeah. workshop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we got, um, then we got, we got Heather. And um, well, we, we were talking about, we, we said, oh, Audra's story. Audra's stories with Annie. In Annie. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and you just remind me of a question I have in regards to yeah. Sunset, but Audra, I need Audra stories with Annie first and then I'll get to Well, yeah, it was a little, the, the only thing that I, I had with her was um, it got a little operatic in the head voice. And right. I, I telling you to, you know, like, tone it down then when we had uh uh the premiere at the new amsterdam they showed it at the new amsterdam theater and uh, i was talking to charles strauss afterwards and he he loved the he oh he just he was he goes i never I, uh, the best compliment he said i never thought the score could sound like that and i was like wow mm -hmm. he really got in the you know the copeland harmonies and stuff anyway so he says that and then he goes Wow, I didn't know Grace was an opera singer. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, like, it's also it's also so funny because you have you have um, Anne Ranking in in the first one, where like, since when is Grace? Since when is she a dancer? You know, yeah. right? And then right, you have right. Audra, and you're like, since when is since when is Grace this beautiful lyric soprano? But also, I'm curious, whose idea was it to add that tomorrow reprise? Oh, I was Audra? asked to. Uh, I don't know whether may, may I don't know who it was, whether it was Rob or whether it was the producers, but that I I put that together. Uh, I did, I combined part of the movie. No, oh, it is. Oh, it's wow. gorgeous. Yeah, it's I posted no, it on no, my page I, the other day, I, and it, people I, it really I, resonated. To, to they wanted a, a prize, but I think it was my idea to combine the two songs because mm. I, I harmonically could do that and interweave it. I'm really glad you you. Uh, you like that? That, oh, that it's, makes. It's, I think it's one of the most. I think a lot of people would agree. It's one of the most iconic parts of the movie. Just thinking about tomorrow clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow till there's none. When you're stuck with a day that's gray and lonely, you just stick out your chin and grin. I love doing stuff like that, you know, um, uh, combining. Um, I did that in Aida. Um, There's a song called Easiest Life. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah, I and when I got the demo, uh, uh, that was not even, uh, it was all I have to do. It's like in four, four, really slow. I forget how much I love you. It was kind of a lament. And the show had all these ballads. It was like, oh man, you can't have all these ballads. So the arrangement is a combination of a song called Dance of the Robe. Yeah. And um, what else did I? Oh, Attend the Tale of Sweeney. Yeah, I, there's some of that in there. Right. I don't know. I was, well, I was when, you, when you say it, tomorrow, yeah. Oh, yeah. When you say tomorrow, what, what were you combining it with? Maybe. Yeah. Oh, duh. Yeah. Well, because so oh, normally goodness, in the stage show, yeah. yeah, normally yeah. The stage show, what happens is Annie comes out and she sings a reprise of Maybe, and it sort of trails right, off right, in the right. middle. And uh, right. yes, Paul very wisely put tomorrow on the Maybe. Right. And right. And right. 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 Yeah, and the music, uh, the music combines. I can't. Oh, you know, I'd so have well. to. 
listen to it again to see what I did, but, no but it, it's nothing there. to fear. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, yeah. even something is uh, uh, like, I think I'm going to like it here is structurally exactly the same. It is in the stage show. There's just yeah. little tweaks to it that give it, as you said, that motor. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. the way that uh, Andrea, do, uh, not Andrea, the way that Alicia does, I know I'm going to like it here. It's just so fulfilling yeah, right. and so satisfying in a way that um, the original stage show, the way it was in the seventies as someone who did not see it, but uh, yeah, I didn't see it either. I, Annie is a musical that is uh, close to my family because my grandfather was a it was an entertainment lawyer and his clients worked in theater. So uh, Martin Charnin was a client. Jerry Bach was a client. They so he were he'd seen a lot of these things. And we talked about Annie because I went to the opening of the last revival with him. And I was said to him, I was like, I didn't, I forgot like how sardonic this show is. He's like, oh, the original was tongue in cheek the entire time. It was yeah it was very smart ass and when you listen to the orchestrations of the original as you said it's like very cartoony because it's commenting it's commenting on the style of music and you guys definitely went much more wholehearted which gives it this great excitement which again you know what else Uh, i used a a gershwin because Mm. of the period because of the 30s period uh, and that's in um, NYC. A you lot can hear of that on the Star to be, yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot yeah. of Gershwin. That was Andrew McArdle, right? Wasn't she a Star mm-hmm. to be in that? She sure was. Yeah. Genius. Oh yeah, you know that, that she's the, the cameo. Yeah. And I mean, this is a very technical thing that I don't even know if you can say for uh-huh. sure, but it's something that I've always thought every time I listen to it on the soundtrack. Her final note on the it's NYC. It sounds yeah. like that's live on the soundstage. That it was in front of the cameras, not in the studio, because it's just, and it makes me. I question it to this day, and I don't know if you can say for sure if it's if that is or not. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we did do that. We recorded everything, but uh, most of the things that we did live that we ended up using were the beginning few words mm. of songs, so you don't get that kind of bump from dialogue mm. um, to, to soundtrack. Yeah. We definitely did that with. Um, um, Cinderella. Cinderella. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can definitely hear that in Cinderella. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's wonderful. I think that's why it works so well. Because Cinderella also, Jimmy, I don't know if you noticed this when you rewatched it on Disney Plus recently. I did uh, a lot. There's some like ADR with the dialogue as well. So it kind of flows out of of sound. And it works because when they go into pre recorded vocals, it's not jarring because your ear's already used to it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, specifically Bernadette's what is it now uh, that is definitely <laughs> ADR and I love it very much but that's that's just me that's me showing off the name on everybody's lips is gonna be Roxy the lady raking in the chips is gonna be Roxy I'm gonna what do you have to go through a similar uh, approach for someone like say Renee Zellweger in Chicago who you know goes into this project not thinking she's a musical theater performer like wh- how did how do you approach you know for lack of a better term like movie stars who have to come into this or any of, they know nothing about any of those nine ladies too oh yeah the oh, nine women you 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 take what uh well you get the right keys number one right so Nicole Kidman we got um um We'll get back to Renee Zellweger. I'm thinking of uh, Penelope Cruz. Mm-hmm. Um, did the miss? I recorded her. She was the uh, the original part that she would have gotten was the 
uh, unusual way, Nicole Kidman. And really? I, 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 oh yeah, I recorded that. Then Rob had her dance and she had this wonderful dance training. And I went to actually went, flew to Spain because she was doing a, a Vicky Barcelona there and, and recorded her doing um, uh, Call to the Vatican. Mm-hmm. And uh, then she, of course, got that part. But you, you, Renee, um, did not audition. We had we auditioned a lot of people for um, Tony uh, for Roxy, Tony Collette, who kind of fell in between the two parts. Mm-hmm. You can understand that she was neither a perfect Roxy or or Velma. Oh, uh, a lot of people, Marissa Tomei, but but uh, Renee kind of sang in in Rob's ear, you know, and, and look, Roxy, um, I guess like Sally Bowles in, in the pure sense is not a great singer. She's a wannabe. Right. So you can, as you've seen the people who've gone on uh, Broadway, not n- very often, not, not great right. singers, but it, but it works. So she didn't have that, um, you know, onus on it. Velma has got to sing a little belt, belt. Mm -hmm. So Renee, uh, I just worked and and worked with her on that, using that kind of 20s, that kind of 20s twang and doing stuff, exercises. And she came in, she had three notes. I remember going, all that jazz. And then one day, that jazz, she got that, you know, that, that, uh, I don't know, place in her voice and, and was a, able to able to do it. I thought Renee was great in, in Chicago. Oh, absolutely. Think, oh, oh, I think she was great. Well, Chicago's, you know, a phenomenal movie in general. I love her performance. And I mean, I'm a huge Renee fan, starting with Jerry Maguire up until, you know, present day. But I mean, yeah, there's something about her Roxy vocally speaking. You talk about how, you know, similar to Sally Bowles, it does remind me in a way of Natasha Richardson's Sally. Mm-hmm. Where, yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's not about the singing, right? Yeah. Where it's, she but was, it's still musical. It's still very musical. So you're not thinking like, oh, realistically, you know, she's not a singer, so it's clunky. Like it's, it still flows on a musical theater level, but it's not that polish that uh, some other singers might have. That and makes, that's more that's exciting really sometimes. I feel absolutely. like absolutely, absolutely, because it's true. It's uh, Natasha Richardson, is a perfect example. And it, it there, there's, I don't know, there's a limit when some people aren't musical. They, they, they're people with great voices who aren't musical. And then there are people with not good voices who are musical and you are able to, you know, that's something that, that almost yeah. can't be taught. Renee is musical and, mm. and, you know, she felt that she could dance and, uh, you know, that, that was very workable. The thing, uh, Catherine didn't have the high notes when she started, but we were able to, again, use that, that um, twangy thing that the, they did in the 20s because they didn't have microphones, you know, and they had mm-hmm. to project like, you know, like, like that. And uh, she got, we got, we got her voice like that. Um, you just had to talk to her about burping a baby and then, then the notes came out. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine did it. Italian, be Italian, take 
take a chance and try to steal a fiery kiss. Someone like Fergie, uh, who has, you know, has this really like, you know, majestic voice, but maybe wasn't given the opportunity in her career as a pop singer to do so. Was that something that you had to bring out of her for uh, be Italian or was that something that she came in with already? I mean, I have to tell you, I Fergie at the time is one of the best instruments that I worked with. And, and that, that includes Barbara Streisand and Jennifer Hudson. And she was able to build, you know, when we worked on, actually, I always like to work on other stuff with people because, you know, like um, we worked on Jacques Brel and stuff with uh, Marion Cotillard and Daniel Day-Lewis. I, I said, you know, Man of La Mancha and, and, and Fergie, I said, and you'd be this great Aldanza. She was able to belt the entire song. She was amazing. And she, I thought she was very good. I thought Be Italian was great. I, th- I mean, I don't oh, want to speak Be Italian is one of the best in the movie. I was about to say, I don't yeah. want to speak for the community, but I feel like whatever anyone's thoughts on the movie might be, it's it's generally considered uh, the one of the best, if not the best number in that film. Are you ready for another recording story with Be Italian? I'm, I'm ready for any story you give me at any moment, at any time, Paul. <laughs> after, sorry, after the Audra McDonald's and Aida tea, okay. literally anything here on out, I'm like wide oh. open for. Okay. Graphic. Graphic. <laughs> you said it. I don't know I who's going to see And this. I meant it. I said what I said. And okay. I meant, I meant This is, I said to Fergie, because look, you know, the part she's playing, she's playing Italian whore mm-hmm. on the beach. So I'm going to give some, um, uh, direction that they, you know, but I, I, I was before saying it, I had a feeling that she would be fine with any kind of imagery that I gave her. Mm-hmm. And I said, Do you mind if she get tell, you know, tell me anything? Now, I, I, so to her credit, here she's coming in as a, a pop star with Dandel Day Lewis and, you know, and Sophia Loren. Oh, and Judy Dench. These high-powered actors so she was great because she said i want you to work with me with give me any acting direction that you want so she'd already told me that and then i said look i might get a little graphic here she go oh that's fine so be italian has that last note that goes on for 16 bars mm-hmm. at last right is that the, the, the yeah. word uh, um, at last yeah oh, yeah become your last it's it's your last yeah become your last yeah and with that big play out under it and i thought okay uh when you're holding a note or sustaining a note you better have something going on in your head subtext i think other than just opening your mouth and you know, singing a note. So when Fergie and I were working on that, look, you got this 16 bar note. So I'm saying, yeah, you know, okay. So, so for four bars, you're really, you're telling them you got to be fierce when you're having sex and, and you got to love it. Uh, and I said, okay. And the third, you're eating pussy. I said, right. to. She said, oh yeah, I can do that. And, uh, <laughs> 
That is funny. Like, I, I, yeah, 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 I can't, yeah, I can't do that. And I said, so, so I gave her all these, like, you know, some graphic, other, just the, hey, this is like name dropping time. So I tell Hugh Jackman that. He said, you really said that to her? I said, yeah. He said, well, that's, that's good direction. And so we get in the studio and now, look, Craigie's used to the studio, but it was my, my whole point is the, the same thing. You get in the studio and you can get really technical and keep thinking, oh, you know, it's my pitch like. So, and I'm sitting next to Rob Marshall. We're doing this in, in, in London. And uh, she sings the note at last. And it's, it's pretty good. It wasn't even, actually the pitch wasn't perfect, but he, uh, Rob said, oh, we can fix that, you know, with the auto-tune. I said, yeah, but I don't know. There's something. I said, can I go in there? And he said, yeah. I said, hey, you remember... <laughs> Remember when we did like every four bars, you know, in the eating pussy part? And, you know, I don't I, I, you know, the different thoughts. Oh, she, oh, yeah, I forgot that. See, you know, you forget that when you go in the studio. She does it with the thoughts. The note, first of all, the pitch is perfect, but the note had this spin and interest. And Rob was like, what happened? I said, it's all subtext and thought. And I'll tell you something. That, once, when you have people have, who have trouble with a note and they get you get their mind off the technical stuff and, and the, what they're saying and what they're expressing, 10 out of 10 times it comes out better technically yeah. than trying to, yeah. Ten, yeah you, it always is, yeah. Well, they get, out, they get out of their own way and they allow That's it right. to happen, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's not like saying, you know, tell somebody to relax. That, anybody can say that. It's like, Okay, what are you replacing your nerves with? What your, what thoughts are, what's on your mind that has to do with the story that's going to make you um, express yourself better and sing better? Mm. And that man, that 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 works. Question in regards to Dreamgirls, where I feel like oh. you might have had sort of the opposite problem. We have these three amazing singers with this amazing music where you sometimes have to say, now you got to actually have to scale back a bit and 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 not let the voice come out so much. Uh, well, well, with Jennifer, you know, it was very, very uh, green. You know, mm -hmm. at that point, she had been a, a, a runner up on American Idol and, and sung on cruise ships. And, and uh, you know, Fantasia. You remember Fantasia? Of course. Remember. Oh, who was great in The Color Purple, by the way. Yes, so, he was. Great. Um, Fantasia was the choice of Bill Condon. She, For Effie? Oh, yeah. And I saw the screen test. I didn't think vocally that she was as right, you know, in the end, that I wouldn't have picked her but david geffen did not want to he said no you uh, i'm not going to do the movie you got to find me another effie and um jennifer had already auditioned and the first day that i came on the job my job was to get her into the movie because we were there was nobody else and bill mm -hmm. condon said 
it's not, they won't let us do Fantasia. And um, I called him about 15 minutes after work. I said, she's going to get it. You watch. And what the thing with her was she went, at, she was going to do Jennifer Holiday's version of I'm telling you. And I said, uh-uh, none of that. This is you. We're not going to, we're not going to, you're not going to copy her riffs. So we worked out everything that, that, that worked for her. And it took her a while. Um, it took her a while. She got, she got the song like well into, into shooting. I remember mm -hmm. that there were a lot of different takes and we worked on the, um, oh, what's that song? Love you. Love, love you. I do. Like I, yeah. Love you. I do. We worked out all, all the riffs on that. That was kind of a Burt Backrack thing type right. song. Um, but she was great. She was something great. like um, Heavy or Dream or Dream Girls or Move, where it's a little more kind of tighter harmonies and fewer yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, chances to really vocally show off. That's got to be its own kind of issues. Whereas, say, like um, Kathy Bates or Glenn Close, you have to say, like, well, you know, go bolder go bigger try try bigger uh artistic acting brushstrokes to get the voice out uh someone like beyonce who is you know this amazing singer then has to kind of scale back for nightclub songs. oh yeah yeah oh yeah you know they had to they had to be they had to be that's what we worked on they had to be in ensembles they had to be the supremes mm -hmm. and these are people um well not that that you know again jennifer was not famous but she was al already you know she's a solo star Mm -hmm. And Anika Nani Rose, great voice and a really great actress. I oh, mean, yes. Really great chops. Really good. And I knew her from New York, so I, I knew her already. That was that was getting them to be, a, you know, an ensemble. Uh, Beyonce is great. To, oh, she's so wonderful to work with. That's One wonderful to hear. She used to kiss me on the cheek after every rehearsal. You still washed your face afterwards, Paul? No, I didn't. Okay, I good. haven't washed my face. Today. I was about to say, this interview's over years. if you washed that cheek Oh, afterwards. I was dying. I mean, she was, I was so, like, I couldn't believe her. I said, you're really well brought up. She said, yeah, I know. So this yeah. will translate for Jimmy. He's got a question for you. Yeah, yeah. Now, what I have to ask, because you did everything with Aida when I was looking at your credits yeah, as far as... Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Arrange conducting from the beginning. Supervising yeah. So there was a lot of talks about Beyonce doing an Aida movie. Did you yeah. ever hear about that? I heard about that. And what happened to that? That just didn't. Um, that just didn't happen. Uh, I don't know where that went away. Side. That would have been good. Uh, yeah, that would have been. I think she'd be. I, I think she'd be fierce, and I, I think we. Uh, an acting challenge to her. I thought she was really good in Dreamgirls. And you know that? That's a hard part, Dina. I think it's a, um, it's not the part the you know, that mm. the shines like Effie. It's a, yeah. it's a difficult part, yeah. It's a, it's a part that people uh, mistake a lot because, I mean, the movie, they allow Beyonce to have Listen, which does, you know, show oh, up yeah, yeah. vocally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the original stage show, the whole point is how Dina's voice is a different kind of sound, more clean and commercial. And I yeah, think a lot of people yeah, yeah. mistake that for not showy or maybe the singer is not as good, but it, there's a lot of meat still to that role and having that contrast with, with Effie's voice that I think. Oh, uh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I give I give points to to people who are who are uh, in what are called difficult parts that that are not not showy parts, and I I thought she did. Uh, I mean, I thought she did great. Yeah, I'm still I'm I'm still yeah. waiting for. I don't care who's in it. I don't care if it's Beyonce or who, but I'm still waiting for that Aida movie because I think that that music would translate really well. You know, it's such oh a yeah. Score. That was you know I uh, that was um, I got that from Tim Rice because I had done the original um, uh, Lion King uh, demos. Mm-hmm. Well, they were gonna. If you can believe this, not because they were bad songs, but Tim Rice, who I knew from Chess, called me and said they're gonna throw out these songs that Elton and I wrote, and the songs first song he gave me was can you feel the love tonight and i just can't wait to be king and then later on i did uh, an arrangement of, of circle of light i was like what i, I said sounds like a, a huge hit and he said i know but they don't see how it can fit in a in a movie about africa it was called king of the jungle at that time and um so i did these arrangements with african instruments and and i thought we're you know okay and i nothing big deal needs and all of a sudden they're oh wow we can do <laughs> we, we love the songs now so you know anyway so that worked and, and then when they were doing aida tim said would you come in and elton um said look i, I don't know anything about writing a musical i write song i'm a songwriter and i just was given these demos and some of them are like i said easy as life some of them almost are unrecognizable once we got um once we got through with them, and some of them are are, are uh, quite quite like they were, um, you know, I think like father like son was, was was similar to the demo, but that was uh, that was a great uh, creative project, and I, I got a lot of uh, it was really it, Elton was great. He, he was like, I'm gonna let you alone. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if someone wants to understand the. Uh depth of your work on that all they have to do is listen to the demo of strongest suit and then sherry renee scott's strongest suit just to, oh. where, where you don't change a note it's just how you structured the song and you let it build in a way that's so musical theater and brilliant was sherry you know a part beginning? of oh yeah was From sherry part of it sherry, absolutely she oh. she was she was the one constant not um uh and adam came in when heather came in adam mm. pascal but Sherry was the, from the beginning. Ah. And the only other person that we considered had Sherry not done it was Sada Ramirez. Ah. For sure. She gave a great audition. I remember that. Her Lady of the Lake is still one of like those iconic taking a role that's like not much there and just milking it for everything it's worth. Uh, her yeah. voice at that time was just so exceptional. And I can only imagine what 99, 2000 Saturday Ramirez could have done with Strongest Suit. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I but, fell but on Sherry, my back. Yeah, Sherry Sherry was, uh, Sherry was amazing. A lot Sherry of fun. Was, if seeing Aida on Broadway, that was the first, because I was nine, I think, when I saw it. Uh, yeah, it opened right before my 10th birthday. And mm-hmm. that was the first time I ever saw someone sing the way that Sherry Renee Scott sang in that like live in front of my face. Oh yeah. Uh, Cause I, 
at that point, my my Broadway experiences were rather limited coming in over the bridge. I saw maybe like one or two shows a year and my shows were being curated by my family who all like, you know, golden age stuff and then yeah, yeah, yeah. which is I love them still to this day. But yeah, seeing Sherry Renee Scott doing Strongest Suit, that was a formative show for me. Just did they like, uh, did your family like Aida? Did they? They like did. The we saw, we yeah. ended up seeing it because my school would see two Broadway shows a year, like the whole student bodies, families like paid to see some like gala performance. So that was the year of Aida. The following year was Mamma Mia. Uh, and my family, we really liked Aida. Mamma Mia is another story because I saw it in London first and I hated it because I didn't understand oh, yeah? like singing along to the score yeah, 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 was something yeah. that people were going to yeah, do. Yeah. Cause I didn't know yeah. Abba really well. And then when you saw it a year later on Broadway, I was prepared for it. So I liked it a lot more. Yeah. I liked it. I, I got, it was like Fred M used to say that when he came to see star, he came to see starlight express. And I said, I said, what you think? He goes, Hey, hey I really liked it. It's like park your brains at the door. You know? <laughs> I mean, I see, but no, he, he knew, he knew yeah. it was like, Park your brains at the door and you'll enjoy it. That's what yeah. I said. Uh, Mamma Mia was was uh, silly. I thought yeah. it was fun. Well, I always say yeah. Mamma Mia is the kind of silly show I like because it does all the work for you. Like Mamma Mia is yeah. very smart about how silly it is. So you like when you can sort of let your brain at ease because it doesn't you don't catch up on so many things. The show's really good at overcoming a lot of that. Starlight Express, Sunset, Chess, Aspects of Love, like obviously these British imports. Is there anything about music directing when you have a score that's already kind of been implanted on the pop culture consciousness? Oh, like there any kind um, of well, chess, especially where there's already like a legacy leading up to it. Sure, 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 sure. Well, with Sunset, that was a different production. Right. And, and it really, you know, they ended up closing it in London for three weeks and implementing all the changes that we did in L.A., um, especially the opening number. But when I went to see it in London, um, I'm glad I saw it because I thought a lot of it was too slow. And mm. that was one thing that I, I decided, I said, I'm not going to, uh, I don't agree with the tempos. So that, that helped it. I, I think it, it, you know, enlivened it a little, it was very heavy. And, um, you know, your question was about what do you do when you when you've got a uh, uh, a score. Show, well, yeah. we did it, chess was different because it was a different version of the show that it was a book musical, whereas it had been very much sung through in London. Mm -hmm. So it was changed, and we had a new song, someone else's story. But a lot of it, you know, you don't the arrangement of of nobody on nobody's side. Of course, that was. You're not gonna mess with that. I don't, Jimmy, I don't know if you know the story about how Judy Kuhn came to be a part of chess. Do you know the story, Jimmy? Do you know the story, Paul? Well, I was at the auditions. Well, so. how she got to the audition, I mean. Um, Maybe so, not. No, tell me. Tell me what you know. So it's Judy had done a four performance flop called Rags the same season as Les Mis. 
Well, I saw it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Rags uh, closed when Rags closed. It got nominated for best musical like a year later. And mm-hmm. they offered Rags the chance to do a number from the show. And so Judy Kuhn, she did mm-hmm. one day more with the Les Mis cast and sang the title song of Rags like right yeah. before it. And apparently right. after the telecast, Trevor Nunn came up to her because he was in the middle of casting chess. He was like, Judy, you belt. And she's like, yeah, I, mean, oh, I right. belt. And right. he was like, well, I'm casting chess. Like, can you come in for Florence? And she was like, yeah, sure, whatever. So that's what got her the audition. I don't think she... It was on her radar. She wasn't on his radar, but that performance is what did it. Do you remember? Right, because he he knew her as Cosette and yeah. didn't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, uh, oh, right. What a what a great um, instrument and varied instrument that she has, mm-hmm. and she's so relaxed. She does a lot of Alexander technique. I think. Oh. So what is he just like stand there? And she said, "Yeah, I did a lot of." Uh, I, that that voice that comes out of her. Do you it's recall amazing. her? Do you recall her audition for chess? Oh yes. Oh yes. Can you tell me about it? Because I want. Well, to and, and I tell you why I I um, I went for her. I said, you know, she has a certain vulnerability and um, folky quality that I think works well. Uh, when I was talking to Benny and Bjorn and Tim Rice, I said that's because we all, you know, you often very the people behind the desk are polled saying, okay, who, who is your favorite? And there were only, as I recall, four, and one was Lori Beachman, who was great. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I felt, and I, and I love Lori Beachman. I've worked with her and I thought she was great, but I, for some reason thought Judy would, would fit the, um, the part as a and, and better and i liked her her vocally i can't remember i can't remember the other two they weren't two well-known actresses but uh um i do remember saying yeah yeah she's my choice and and of course benny and bjorn and, mm-hmm. and trevor trevor wanted to be trevor wanted her also but you know trevor's a, a very um uh he you know he's got he's he's very strong Mm-hmm. which a director has to be and forth. But he is not, not uh, unwilling to hear people's opinions mm. and be swayed. Um, yeah. What I love about Judy Kuhn's voice and her, especially as a singing actress, because again, she's like top, top of the tier for me is that the instrument is there. It's, she is very musical. The notes always come out so fantastically, but it's never at the expense of character or expression. No. Um, there you there's always an attitude if it has to be angry you can hear the anger it's there are times where it can be a little rough where it's it's never the voice the voice is always in control in the sense that you know it's healthy but it's never polished in the sense that it becomes a product does that make sense yeah oh of course also you know she's she's got really strong acting chops i wish you could have seen her golda was Mm -hmm. just great can you uh, talk about that West End fiddler because that was uh, uh, very recent. That's very recent, and and I was thrilled when, um, as you said, you know, Trevor, Trevor, and I have been good friends, and and we were having dinner in New York uh, a couple of years ago, and I said, "What's going on? Uh, what are you doing?" Is <laughs> very cryptic. He goes, "Well, I have two words for you: klezma." And the chocolate factory. And I went, 
klezmer and the chaka. I said, you're going to do Fiddler on the Roof, aren't you? He goes, yes. And I was like, I'm there. I always wanted to do Fiddler. He goes, really? You want to come over and do that? I said, yeah. And he said, oh, well, I think they've got somebody. Then about a month later, he called. He goes, you know what? You're doing it. I talked to David Babani. I was like, great. And the whole concept, when he said klezmer, we were going to do years ago a TV movie like Annie and South Pacific that I did of Fiddler on the Roof with Craig Zaden doing it. It got canceled because of um, problems in Eastern Europe filming. Victor Garber was going to play um, Tevya. Oh. But at the time, I said, you know how I want to do it? I want to strip it down musically, uh, similar to Chicago, which I made the quite a, uh, the band smaller than Broadway in, in many instances. So we did it with eight pieces, and I had a great guy uh, named Jason, uh, uh, who would orchestrate things for the Chocolate Factory, and I did it with uh, conducted from a keyboard, and I had a cello, and I had five five. Trevor wanted as many of the uh, orchestra on stage. So during the wedding, we had five people go down and play from, you know, mm-hmm. trumpet, trombone, accordion. And it was, it, it sounded big when it had to, but it still sounded really klezmer. And all the, the critics um, um, remarked on that, which was great. They got it. And um, a, a terrific actor named Andy Nyman, um, uh, played Tevya, not, uh, not, not like a Mostel, but a great actor first, a uh, very good singer. And he and Judy got along really well. But the thing that was so great about it and so great about Trevor is that he, the acting values, it was so real. There was, it wasn't sticky and, and it can be, you know, played for, it was so, it was still funny, but it was so real and it was done um, environmentally so you know you especially in the chocolate factory you felt like you were in Anatevka it was out in the audience you know and then when we moved it to the uh, West End they reconfigured the theater so there was a, a, a kind of a walkway runway that bisected the entire orchestra floor and they built the set way out from the proscenium and you really felt like you were in in the village, so the whole the whole realism thing worked great, and and we got the uh, Olivier. So as we come to a close, I want to come back to the uh, work that originally made me reach out to you, that got Jimmy on board, that's going to get all the people to continue to listen <laughs> to this. We're coming back to yeah. Cinderella, oh, yeah. Paul. I'd say sorry, but I'm not sorry. Yeah. Um, I had one person who asked about uh, the added songs uh the added yes. roger songs they mm. wanted to know the origins of that sort of how uh sweetest sounds and falling in love with love and music in you came to be do you know sort of the origins of how those songs came into the project well, yeah be, uh, because the score it, it in its it's kind of incomplete you know like princess giving a ball is a part of a song that was augmented um but we wanted, we just wanted more music and it worked with it. it I thought it worked very well. Um, I'm not a big fan of uh, catalog musicals and jukebox musicals mm. because they often feel like they've shoehorned uh, songs. Yeah. And w- yeah. 
uh, one of the great thing about Mamma Mia is they make fun of that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, all of that, that is, that is so that it's like a campy thing to, uh, you know, break into some, you know, dancing queen or something. And, and that, that works, but it's when they, you know, taking a, a bunch of songs that weren't written for something. And I, and I, I think they were very careful about it. Um, the producers and the sweetest sounds. It was great to introduce, uh, you know, a romantic thing with um, Paolo when, when she doesn't know, you know, it's like the Prince and the Pauper story. You don't mm. know who he is. And falling in love with love is perfect for uh, Bernadette. And that, um, that arrangement, you know, that again another motor song yeah another another song with a motor uh different kind of motor attached usually, to it it's usually yeah. a waltz that song right yeah it's, it's written in three yeah yeah and, and this was you. three again oh, I, I like doing i did that's that's what uh i did that in aida where you take a four four song and you combine it with uh three and it, it gives a certain kind of energy to it and um yeah it's like triplets against the uh against the four four were there any songs in nine that were sort of up in the air about keeping or cutting? Because uh, I, that was a question that somebody had about nine that I mentioned earlier was uh, there were a lot of songs from the stage production that weren't in the movie. Were there any songs right. that were the sort bells, of- The bells, the bells of, yeah. Of St. Sebastian uh, yeah. that was up in the air? I don't think it was up in the air. It was, it was, it was cut. Oh, I know, you know, uh, I can't make this movie. Mm-hmm. There was that one we had to, I had to do an arrangement of that for 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 Daniel that I think that they were on the fence of not doing that interesting until oh yeah. they were gonna yeah, they yeah. were thinking about cutting that. I, I I I'm not totally sure but I remember having to do a couple uh versions of that interesting. uh tailored for him yeah with your work as a composer an arranger orchestrator music director uh are there any songs you look back on if you were to like listen to it now and go like I did that. Like that, that is, that is tops. Like I, I know that I pointed out, you know, impossible and Cinderella and we talked about NYC with Annie. Do you, have you looked back and gone like, you know what, with some distance, I can look back and say, my work here is really damn good. Well, I eat it. And I got, I mean, Elton gave me, man, Elton, again, his credit, he is not, he's self-effacing about his music. And he said, when he heard at the last, um, uh, the last workshop, the version of Easy as Life, um, it was interesting because I did that with the second workshop. It, it, it Sometimes things don't work, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I had the middle part of Easy as Life, I, I I didn't get it right in my, in my version. And Elton was like, you know what, let's go back to the old version, the slow ballad. And then I called him up in, when I was in rehearsal, I said, you know, um, it's really not working like, like that. It's kind of, she's coming off uh, kind of self-pitying and slow. And, and then he was like, he said, well, I'm going to be at the workshops. He goes, I said, can I try uh, another shot at the version of easy life? He said, you're, well, we did it at the at the workshop and he came down. The, the cast was, you know, we were the very few people, Mike Leisner and Tom Schumacher. And it was not open to the public. Mm. And they 
thought that he was coming down from the row, four rows above me. And they said, it looked like he was going to come down and hit you. Like, like he was mad. Hmm. And he came down and they're all like, I could see their faces like, and he comes down and he fucking high fives me. Right. <laughs> then at the meeting, I can believe this. He said, I said, he said, you know, Paul took a, a, and he said a middling, that's what he said about his song. He took a middling song and made it into a showstopper. And that, that's when you go, fuck, I did. Yeah. I'm proud I did of that. that. Yeah. And, and, and listen, you know, Jim, when, when you said, I, I had forgotten about that song, um, that little moment in um, Annie of, of the reprise of Tomorrow. Isn't that and a beautiful thing that it can have such an impact too? Yeah, that I had no idea that 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 you know people said they they liked it, but but you know to hear somebody years later go, oh, it's my favorite thing in the movie. That 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 means a lot to me. You know? Yeah. Well, and it's yeah. moments like that too, where it's like stuff like that, or the entire score of Cinderella that I'm like, I just wish that they could license these productions to be done live. Like I wish that there. I don't even know if this could be in the works somehow, but I wish that people could license the Brandy Cinderella, the way it's written to per perform on stage, you know, with all the new songs and the arrangements and. Wow. Um, shit. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't see the Broadway uh, revival with mm -hmm. Laura. Um, awesome. Osnes, uh, yeah. And um, Santino. Yeah. I didn't see that. So I don't know what they used of our, whether they use Swedish, I have no idea, but I don't think they used any of those arrangements. I don't it, think that the would arrangement work. was, it was very much the, the original, the Leslie. Right. Anderson and also, band. you know, again, we had, we had a, a modern, uh, you know, pop people in the show. So we wanted it to, to have that hybrid quality. Yeah. But eventually I mean, they even got Kiki Palmer to be Cinderella after Laura, who uh -huh. I think is very similar. Like she's really funny and, and sweet. And she has a similar quality to Brandy, just like a, a, a younger version so i would have loved to see her doing that version of it but i don't know what it did was it sort of retracted back to sorry to cut you off jimmy uh no it it, it uh I don't, retracted is not the right word it regressed back to very old school musical theater sounds which again as i said like i don't have any issues with that i think it's a beautiful sound but when you are when you have already heard it done with as you said paul like that motor from the brandy cinderella one where it just has this excitement and this spark to it something sort of feels like it's missing what they did keep and all productions of cinderella now have it so you can truly take credit for this all productions of cinderella forever now have uh there is music in you uh, and oh really? Oh, yes. okay. Not, okay. Not the not the Whitney riftastic version. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a little more classical, but it's the it's the same structure. It has music in you into uh -huh. Allegro, it, finishing with music in you. So right, all versions right, right. do that, including the last revival. But uh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It's a it's much more the original Julie Andrews. Impossible. They don't do falling in love with love. Obviously, they don't do sweetest sounds. Uh, they do a kind of version of Prince is giving a ball, but again, there's there's an uh, there's a humor to the uh, Jason Alexander version with uh, that's also very character based. I love the and I know Fred Ebb uh, did new lyrics for it, but I love the rearrange the rearranged lyrics that include the stepsisters and the stepmother in Prince is giving a ball because it is so character based and it makes the lyrics all the funnier because you hear right. the original lyrics which are pretty cute which is you know uh 
oh, I wish that he'd proposed to me. Why shouldn't he propose? Oh, to yeah, me? yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. the reworked version has the stepsister saying, I wish he'd proposed to me. I wish that he'd proposed to me. And then Bernadette going, just leave the hair and clothes to me. And it's right, like, right, it's right, just right, it's right. just a you know check mark out. Yeah, that's a good well, even, even just the addition number, yeah. of like, that's the two songs. That's Your Majesties, which to, I mean, to me, like, I don't know if many people even know the song Your Majesties from from um, Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella. It's just kind of like a, it happens, whatever. But the way yeah. that they, the way that you guys combined those two, it made it so much more exciting and used some of the music from both songs in the dance break. And yeah, yeah. that's that's that was David Crane, uh, the dance arranger, and and Rob Marshall. They're, they're great at that that stuff. Yeah, took two songs yeah. that kind of just happen in the musical, aren't yeah. anything huge, and just combined them to make yeah. a oh, show-stopping yeah. number. Yeah, but it's oh, amazing yeah. that all uh, all of you, you know, all these different people were able to sort of come up with this cohesive mm-hmm. unit. I think, you know, this is as, as good a time as any to call it a close. Where can people find you if they would like to find you? <laughs> how can they reach you? I mean, I know how I know how they can because I reached you, but I but I want you to uh, divulge the ways that you would prefer. They can reach me anywhere. I don't care about uh, 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 give out my number, give out my email. I don't give a shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so you have a website, pablogave.com. Oh, yeah, I have a website. You can reach me on that. That that gets to me somehow. But mm-hmm. I have two the email I use the old email address uh, at AOL for uh people who want to coach or work with me. Mm-hmm. And uh I don't know my you know my cell number i don't i i, I don't i don't care if, if you want paul's cell number you're gonna have to uh dm me on instagram at this time i do uh i work with people on zoom uh mm. you know uh i'm i'm prefer one-on-one but uh you know live but i've had great success working with people all over the world on zoom so if anybody wants to work contact me and i'll do it lovely uh jimmy that you- includes you too well, okay let's yeah. i know jimmy and i'll probably take you up on that get a i'd love to hear yeah i'd love to hear you what i'm looking at you and say oh god this guy's castable oh uh, right? i i i, no, I yeah. think i'm castable i think that i would make a phenomenal fairy godmother but only oh, if fuck. only yeah, if it's the whitney version of there is music in you well if you got the chops to do that you can hear <laughs> you can hit the bull on impossible <laughs> <laughs> you got the part but, thank uh, you jimmy yeah. tell people where they can find you most people who've come to this episode know but say it anyway babe uh my personal instagram jimmy larkin nothing exciting no frills and then my other instagram account let's hear it for the choice which is more uh more fun and musical theatery yes has become an institution of the musical theater community you can find me on instagram at matt Coplick. again usual spelling if you like the podcast uh give us five stars give us a nice little review it always helps with the algorithm if you don't like the podcast you can write me a terrible review but still give it five stars and i will you take don't it like the podcast fuck off <laughs> Listen, people are entitled to their, <laughs> people are entitled to their opinions. They're entitled they to are, be, but fuck Paul, off. You they're like entitled this. to be wrong, Paul. That's their choice. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, guys. And I think we're gonna close out. We close out every episode with a nice uh, diva. And I think what better one to close out with than Brandy and Whitney together hitting those beautiful notes in Impossible. Oh yeah. 
Yes, yes, yes. Uh, thank you so much. For Why are you that. down there? Why are you down there? Jimmy, say uh, it for us. Why are well. you down there? Oh, please do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, please yeah. do that. Why yeah. are you down there? All right. Bye, everybody. The world is full of zanies and fools who don't believe in sensible rules and won't believe what sensible people say. And because these daft didn't do it, I don't keep building up impossible hopes and possible things are happening Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor, and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.